So I just wanted to uh, take a moment and hope and wish that everyone had a Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, everyone. Did everybody have a good time with family and friends and all that stuff? And everybody's prepared for the new year? Nobody's prepared. Ben's the only honest one. No one's prepared. You know, you'll wake up in like three weeks and it'll be 2020. So don't worry about it. It's flying by quick. But um, we're wrapping up a sermon series, as Mitch just said, called The Journey to Jesus. And um, I know what you're thinking. Shouldn't have ended last week because of Christmas, right? The journey to Jesus. He was born. Now what? Uh, so there's this little tale of these three wise men uh, that come along. But before we get there, I just wanted to recap what we've already learned um, over the last several weeks and uh, some of the, the um, characters and the stories that we've heard. Uh, first, we encountered Zachariah and his wife, Elizabeth, right? And they would go down as the parents of who? Of John the Baptist, right? So Zechariah and Elizabeth, by all accounts, served the Lord uh, gratefully. In Luke chapter 1, verse 6, it actually says that they were righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statues of the Lord. Yet they were never able to bear a child. So they continued to serve their whole entire lives. And then whenever Zechariah, by drawing lots, gets the opportunity to go into the temple of God and light the incense, there's the angel Gabriel, right? And he says, you're going to have a kid. And he's like, well, I don't think you know how old we are, you know, and and even through that, God works and they end up having this child. So their journey to Jesus was long, uh, faithful and fruitful in the end. Right. Their journey was one of serving obedience. Uh, By all accounts, they lived a long, good life, steady following God and doing what his commandments instructed them to do. Uh, Second, we met Mary and Joseph, the parents of Jesus. Right. So you take Mary, this young teenage girl who's set to marry Joseph. Um, It doesn't say that he was the love of her life, but we'll assume that he was. And um, the angel also visits her, right? And he tells her some very similar news, like you're going to have a kid. Uh, The difference is with Zechariah and Elizabeth, um, this isn't going to be you and Joseph's kid. This is going to be you and God's kid, right? So Mary, this young teenage girl, um, after a long conversation with the angel, in Luke chapter 1, verse 38 says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Um, this wouldn't be an easy acceptance of an enormous obligation by Mary, right? If you think about when Jesus came into her life, this journey that she was on, it was very abrupt, right? She was in the middle of this plan that society dictated for them at this time where she would be married, she would be a wife, they would have children. And then it was like, hold up, urge your brakes. God has different plans, right? So her journey to Jesus, um, when he came in, it literally changed everything. Her life, her path would forever be altered. It was more of an abrupt, life-changing event that took place, leading her into a life that was totally surrounded by Jesus for the rest of her life, right? And then third, we explored the journey that was the birth of Jesus. Now, I want you to imagine the journey that took place Uh, It was estimated between 70 and 90 miles, right, to where Jesus' birthplace would be. Now, I want you to imagine cutting down a riverbed, crossing over, going up through some mountains. Brian Beasley, I know you're the the geographical guy, so correct me if I'm wrong. That journey was treacherous, correct? Amen. Especially for a pregnant woman, right? No, I'm not saying that pregnant women, listen, I've been around a pregnant woman. I know you're way tougher than I'll ever be, way tougher than I'll ever be. And you also have an excuse for eating as much as I do, which isn't fair. I've often compared myself either to a pregnant woman 
when it comes to my eating habits. Or I like to say that I'm a fat kid trapped in a fat man's body. Whichever one, you can label me either one. I'm fine with it. Totally fine with it. But what an amazing journey that took place, right? So in these three stories, we see three different journeys, but three that all led to Jesus. Amen? So this journey that took place for her, for the birth of Christ, after all of that, they get there and they have nowhere to go, right? They end up in a barn. They end up putting their baby into a feeding trough. What an extraordinary event. What what an amazing story and amazing people. And then finally, it doesn't end on Christmas. Christmas is amazing. That's the birth. That's what we celebrate. Historically inaccurate date that was picked, but that's okay. We'll take it. We're not here to argue about, you know, the dates and the timelines and how many people were actually there and blah, blah, blah. We're here to actually explore the journey to Jesus, okay? So then we come to the wise men. Uh, And what I want to try to do, like I just said, I want to try to get you in the mindset of when in, what went into this journey, okay? And then we're going to explore um, some extraordinary journeys to Jesus, okay? And I just, I kind of want to take you um, down a road, uh, if you will, that the wise men would have went down when considering uh, this. Amen? Does that sound like a, a plan, church? Uh, before we get into that, let's read Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And it'll be up on the board. Um, If it's your first time, like Ben said, welcome. Um, There's sermon notes as well in the handouts. Grab those, fill in. There's a lot of blanks this week. Um, Mitch would be proud. Um, A lot of them aren't facts. They're not factual fill-ins. They're more take home with you. Really think about it, which will be towards the end of the sermon. And fill them in on your own time after being prayed up and really spending some time meditating on God's word. Um, But there will be some facts put in there that I want you to... To jot down. If you don't got paper, if you're a techie person or a young person, we're on the YouVersion Bible app as well. Grab that, and uh, Chloe, my beautiful daughter, can explain to you how to get there. I really have no idea. Um, but anyways, Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 through 12. Here we go. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, we also learned about Herod, right? Mitch talked about this horrible, despicable human being who titled himself what? Participation. The great. That's right. For himself. He gave himself that title. I just told you the title I gave myself. All right. A little far off. Amen. But uh, so Herod, the king, uh, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod, the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, and I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and with and worshipped him, 
Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So, this is what we know of the wise men. As in these first 12 verses of Matthew, this is where we get all of our information. So what do we know about the Magi for sure? We know that they were magicians, the Magi, magicians, right? They were magicians or astrologers. They weren't kings, okay? The modern songs, old songs translated into what? We three kings, right? They were not kings. Kings wouldn't have went on a a journey like this. Kings would have left their castle to go and lead their people in battle sometimes. Herod the king probably wouldn't have done this because he was too great for that. But these were magicians or astrologers. Excuse me. Most likely interpreters of dreams like Daniel was, right? Because if you look at verse 12, it says that they were warned in a dream. Um, Could have been the angels, could have been some sort of a warning. uh, But they were most likely interpreters of dreams for kings. Um, It's assumed that they are from Persia. Um, A lot of people assume this because they came from the east, right? And um, there was a good possibility that they knew of this child being born in the star because of their knowledge of Hebrew scriptures, uh, which would have come from Daniel. So there were at least two of them. Um, We don't know if there were more than two. We know that there were uh, that wise men, not wise man. Right. So we know that wise men went. It's always been assumed that there were three because of the amount of gifts. Okay. And then also on this journey, you always see three, right? There would have been more than three, most likely. It wouldn't have been two lone men in case something happened to one. Then there's one out on this amazing journey by themselves. So there was most likely several people on this journey, but at least two. We we know for sure there were two, okay? But most likely more than two. Um, And then finally, we know that they worshipped Jesus. Amen? The most important thing that we know is that they worshiped Jesus. It actually says um, in verse 10 that they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Okay, so they really that point was really hammered home in Matthew that they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. So what went into their journey? Um, If you think about the contemplation, the things involved in taking a journey like this. Uh, first, what do you have to consider? Before you're going to go anywhere, you have to consider time, right? So if you consider time and you consider distance, and that first blank in your notes there, the Magi would have traveled over a thousand miles to see Jesus. Now, I want you to imagine that. Over a thousand miles to see Jesus. My hometown in Ohio is about a thousand miles away. I can get there in two hours and 25 minutes, southwest, nonstop, as many bags as I want to take. All right? And they'll just, I just hand them to somebody and they throw them somewhere. And then when I get there, they magically appear on this belt. It's amazing. All right. Unfortunately, this wasn't the case for the Magi. So they were going on a great journey of a far distance. Okay. Um, Another point. Okay. So you see nativity scenes all over the place, right? Um, We walk our, our dog every morning and every night and there's several nativity scenes in our neighborhood. And, uh, you know, one of them has Mary and Joseph and the baby, um, which most likely would have been accurate. Maybe some animals. Um, but then there's others that have, uh, you know, has the, the shepherds. And then there's others that have the wise men. Um, the wise men wouldn't have been there. And as a matter of fact, in this story here, um, you know, it says that they went in verse 11 going into the house 
they saw the child, right? So they went into a house and saw the child. They were no longer in the manger. This had to have been a couple of months after the child was born when they showed up, if not longer. Um, so it was, a, it was a long journey. So I started to think about this and, and really um, consider it. What an amazing feat it was, right? So I've never really taken any journeys like that. I mean, I've taken some journeys. I've went on some trips and whatnot. Uh, but to consider a thousand miles by foot, I really had to stop and think about some of the more famous journeys that I could imagine, all right? So I came up with a, a small list just for my own research to really consider what went into this. Um, and the first one that I thought of, which I'm sure a lot of you uh, would say, oh, that's a logical explanation or a logical choice, um, would be Shrek's journey to save Princess Fiona from the dragon in the castle to bring back to Lord Farquaad. Um, what a journey, right? Seriously, if you think about this journey... He, the reason that I considered that journey um, was really for one main reason. There was a donkey, all right? And it wasn't just a donkey, it was donkey. So if you don't have kids and you've never seen Shrek, I, I really suggest that you watch it. Uh, Mitch would be proud of me for making that reference. Um, but anyways, if you think about it, and you really consider this story, right? He goes on this long journey. He has a goal in mind. He's going to save someone. He has a donkey with him, right? And the wise men possibly could have had a donkey with him. We don't know for sure. It always shows them on a camel, but they could have brought a donkey to haul some stuff. And thinking about it that way, if I had a donkey, I might do it. But then thinking about Shrek and his journey in particular, he had to carry donkey most of the way, right? And the donkey was really annoying and he talked a lot. So I would have to say if, if compared to Shrek, I definitely wouldn't take that journey. The only, my second uh, journey that I could think of was the Goonies journey. Okay, the Goonies journey for One-Eyed Willie's treasure to give the money to the parents to save the boondocks. Has nobody ever heard of the Goonies? Come on. My brother has Goonies tattoos on. Maybe it was just the Ohio thing. I don't know. But if you think about what they did, they went on this extraordinary journey to go and get treasure to save their neighborhood, right? And what were the wise men doing? They were going on this extraordinary journey to give treasure to a king who would save us all. Amen? So you have to compare and contrast the two, but then the more that I thought about that journey, there's no way I'd take that journey either for two reasons. One, far too many booby traps. The pirates had booby traps everywhere. I'm, I'm not a fan of booby traps. And then two, the Fratellis, which were the mobsters that were chasing them the whole story. That was supposed to be funny. I guess nobody really thought it was funny. Maybe, maybe the third idea of a, of a journey that I could think of, there was just one more, and Kevin will really appreciate this was the band journey. That's the only other journey that I could really think of when considering this. And they said, don't stop believing. So I would do that journey because I'm never going to stop believing. And if journey said it, then it must be a good journey, right? That did not get as many laughs as I thought it would. When I was, when I was going through these, I was like, man, this is going to be awesome. But I guess it's not comedy hour. It's church hour, right? So <laughs> the second question in your notes is how long did it take you to get to him. This is for you to fill out at your own leisure. I want you to think about it. And all joking aside, when I thought about this, I really started to think about my journey. And I had a, a totally different, just so you guys know, I, I, I wrote this this week and I knew I was preaching today for months and had something totally different. And Mitch and I were praying and he really felt like I should share this today. And I prayed about it, and God put it on my heart to share it today. So I'm going to 
share with you guys today a little bit about my journey. Um, what an amazing journey it was. And I thought about it. And after recapping it, it's like, man, I have been on a journey like that. I've been on a long, crazy, bumpy uh, journey. And I'm just going to share a little bit of it with you. Um, when I was little, um, my dad and mom took me to church for a brief period. It was a Nazarene church. And uh, we went because dad was sober. Um, my dad was raised without a father, so he drank. He um, was a, in, in a war when he was a kid, so he drank. Uh, my mom was angry at God because her husband was a bad man, so she self-medicated. And then I was the youngest of three kids, uh, my brother, sister, and myself, and we all self-medicated. Um, my brother and sister uh, were, by all accounts, good kids. I mean, they, they did some things wrong, uh, but the worst trouble they would have ever been in was maybe a speeding ticket or something like that. Good students, good grades, um, really decent people, by all accounts. Um, on the other hand, uh, by the age of 14, I had already started to build myself a very healthy rap sheet, um, which included drug trafficking charges at 13 years old. Um, so just to kind of put it into perspective where I was at that point in my life. Um, so my journey was heading in a much different direction than where it ended up going down the line. Um, it was not heading in the right direction. Um, a friend of mine who happened to be a girl, not a girlfriend, a friend who was a girl. Um, dad was actually the principal of the high school, so... Uh, she started taking me to church with her. And they would pick me up every Sunday and they'd drop me off every Sunday. I went because she was a girl who was a friend, but not a girlfriend. And I was on a different journey, hoping to possibly find a girlfriend um, or whatever happened. Um, but they started taking me to church. And something good came out of this. And it's where I found faith in God. It's where I knew for sure in the midst of the darkness and the chaos of my life that God was real. She took me to a Sunday night service. And I said, listen, we already went once today. What are we doing here? You know, like I was up early. I didn't sleep early, but I was up early and I already did this once today. You know, I went and cried at the altar and told God how bad of a person I was and all that stuff. And um, she said, listen, you're going to love this. It's a healing service. And I thought, oh man, here we go. There's snakes. There's God knows what's going to happen at this thing, right? It's a little hill church in Ohio. It was literally a church in a double wide trailer. Uh, which, praise God, is now like a 30,000-square-foot building uh, that houses a 1,000 people on a Sunday. Um, it's amazing what God can do, amen? Um, but I went to the Sunday night service, and they said, there's a young man here. He was born quadriplegic. Um, he doesn't have much time to live. He was, his name was Brian. He was like 18 or 19 years old. He had never walked. Um, he was twisted up. You know, was, He was messed up. But he was there. He was totally there in here. It just was all bad here. And um, he didn't have long to live, and they took him up on stage, and they anointed him with oil, and they laid hands on him and prayed. And my friend Jessica says, Jake, come here. Just put your hand on somebody. It doesn't matter who. Just make sure that you're touching somebody and start to pray, right? So I did, and I put my hand on somebody, and I immediately pulled it off because I felt something, and it scared me, right? And they prayed over this young man for 10 minutes, and he stood up out of his chair and walked to his mother. It wasn't like this. It was more like something like that. And he fell into his mother's arms. And you can only imagine the 50 people in this little church. It was the most amazing thing I saw. And I said, this could be nothing else but a miracle from God himself. And that young man died a couple days after that. 
And God gave him that miracle, and I got to see it. So he gave me something there. It was amazing. So when I'm thinking about this, I'm like, is that where my journey began? Is that where my journey began? And I'm trying to answer this question that I put on on my own paper. So we have these moments where we have to ask ourselves, is that where it started? Unfortunately, not too long after that, I was incarcerated for the first time. I know what you're thinking. 13-year-old drug dealer didn't go to jail. I, I got a lot of those as a kid. Um, I got incarcerated not too long after that for the first time. I had grown an addiction. Um, and I ended up robbing several houses in my town to fill that addiction. You see, there was a hole inside of my heart that was yearning and emptiness. Um, there was a French mathematician and philosopher named Blaise Pascal. In 1654, he turned his life over to God and stopped studying math and history and started studying God and miracles and religion because his carriage took a spill over a bridge in Paris and he almost lost his life. And he said that there is a God-shaped vacuum, not a hole, a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man which cannot be satisfied by any created thing but only by God the Creator made known through Jesus Christ. So that's what I was searching for. I had that vacuum and I saw God work, but I, I didn't fill it. I didn't know how to do it. So through that, I was forced to serve three months, three months in juvenile detention center. Okay? That's a far cry from the 10 to 40 years that 52 felonies, which is what I was charged with, as an adult, mandatory minimum sentence is 10 to 40 years. I want you to really grasp that for a moment how God really gave me another opportunity. So on December 31st, 1997, I was locked up. They came and arrested me at my house and they took me away and they scrubbed me down like an animal and put me in a cell. And I was scared. And all this time I thought I was this tough kid. I ran with these gang members and fought and did all this stuff and I thought I was tough and I was so afraid. And they locked me up on New Year's Eve. Uh, two days, in two days it'll be, wow, 20 years, 1997, right? 22 years, 21 years. Unbelievable. And they put me in here, and somehow my parents had made it there already and had put this Bible and asked them to give me this Bible. This was my father's Bible, which he got when he was a little kid for selling Bible covers door to door. And uh, he got this Bible. So they had stuck this Bible in there. And even through my journeys and my ventures at church, I had no idea what I was doing. And if you open up... In the middle of the Bible, you kind of hit Proverbs, right? You see that. So I sat down and I was crying and I opened this up right to the middle. And the very first thing that I read in Proverbs ten seventeen, and it's still highlighted, it says, anyone willing to be corrected is on the pathway to life. Anyone refusing has lost their chance. Why is this thing here, Ben? But, uh, <laughs> but anyway, so I read that. And it really changed me at that moment. It didn't heal me yet. I still had to go through some stuff, but it really changed me and it really made me think. And it was a scripture that I started to kind of try to mold my life by, no matter what it was, whether it was language, whether it was anger, whether it was whatever, you fill in the blank. I've always tried to live my life by that scripture. Not too long after that, a pastor who I had known as a, as a kid uh, started coming into the jail. His name's Pastor Jay Radman. And he started preaching weekly, and he started to study with me. And um, they had let me stay out of my room a little bit later 
to study with him. And I really started to get filled with the spirit. And I really felt like, finally, God, there's a path that I'm on. Like I felt it, right? I felt like my journey is going to begin. And I got out on my 18th birthday, which was March 25th, 1998. And I got out and I was eager to share my story, right? I wanted to share. I wanted to be a pastor at that moment in my life. And there was a pastor from a church called First Brethren Church, and it was in North Georgetown, Ohio. Some of you Ohio people might know this. It's a little country church. And I went there, me and my dad, and we shared my testimony together. And they wrote me this letter, and I still have it, in this old Bible. And I just wanted to share it with you. It says, Dear Brothers Jake and George, it was truly a blessing to have you with us. What you shared with the youth made quite an impact on them. They were all talking about it at youth meeting Sunday night. Thank you so much for your willingness to be used by the Lord in such ways. I pray that you both stay strong in the Lord and continue to grow. Our enemy, Satan, is not pleased and will be trying in every evil way he can to devise, trying in every evil way he can to devise to get you back in his clutches. But thank God, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We continue to remember you in prayer as you share with others what God has brought you through. May the Lord bless you and use you to his glory. In Jesus' joy, Pastor Fred. So I found that, and, and, I, and I started to think again, like, is this where my journey began? Is this it? And not too long after that, I graduated high school. Um, I still did all my work while I was locked up. My parents brought me my work, and I graduated high school. And the day after I graduated, I just left. I just left. And... The destruction, the partying, um, abandoning what was so important to me at that moment, which was Jesus, which was this story that he was going to use for me, not caring, just wanting to be done. I was I had this why me mentality and um, and I left um, and the, the darkness over the next several years, I, I couldn't even start to talk about um, it was bad, but a couple of things changed in me. Um, one was. Every picture that you see me at a rave or doing all these crazy things, I always have a cross on that my daddy gave me. And I always have a backpack. And in that backpack was always this Bible. This thing traveled all over the East Coast of the United States with me. And I would pray often and I would read sometimes. And through overdosing several times, through getting robbed a couple of times, um, God protected me. And not too long after I gave up on that and I moved back in with my parents, I met my future wife and my daughter. And um, I knew that would get me. This other stuff wouldn't get me. But um, not too long after that, we were married and then Maya came along. Um, we were in our hometown of Columbiana, which they have a couple of fairs every year. And we were walking down the fair and we bumped into who else but Pastor Jay Radman. Um, the guy who came and saw me in jail all the time. And uh, he was an old gang member himself who has a crazy testimony. And he grabbed me and said, hey, knucklehead, where you been? You know, and I was like, man, I, don't, I was trying to get it together. I went to truck driving school. I was working. We, we had bought a house, I think, at that time. And, and I was really trying, but I was just spinning my wheels, spinning my wheels, spinning my wheels. And he said, you need to come to church. So I went to church, and I took my family to church. And... I started to study with a group of pastors several days a week, early in the morning. And after several years of that, I was licensed and then eventually ordained to preach God's word. Um, and what's really cool is for eight years after that, I went back to that jail that I was locked up in. 
And I preach God's word every Monday night to kids just like me. And then I also ended up being affiliated with an organization called Teen Challenge, which was started by Pastor Dave Wilkerson. Um, Crossing the Switchblade, anybody, you know that old book, Pastor Dave Wilkerson? Um, he started this faith-based rehabilitation place called Teen Challenge, not for teenagers, but for anyone. Um, and I got the opportunity to go there, and I got the opportunity to share um, what God had done in my life. Um, and then also, to top it all off, my mom and dad got saved, uh, which, praise God, a beautiful thing. That's why I originally went to that church. I was praying for them. And my brother recently had a child about a little over a year ago, and he goes to church every Sunday at Pastor Jay Radman's church with my mom and my dad. And my sister's got saved as well and has given her life to God. We're all still working on things, but praise God that he will take us on these amazing journeys. So I asked myself after that, is, is that where my journey began? Was it when I was ordained? Was it when I started to preach? Was it when I truly gave my heart away? And listen, I believe with everything in me that our journey truly begins when you purely, with everything you have, give your heart to Jesus. He knows that moment. We don't know that moment. He knows that moment. God knows your heart. He knows where your story begins. He wrote your story. He created you. I was praying over my wife last night and I was really just thinking about he made this intricate body that creates the proper amount of blood flow that does all of these amazing things. And sometimes we're afraid to pray over somebody. Sometimes we're afraid to pray over somebody. I've always urged my youth groups, and my daughter can attest to this, and Tabitha and, and Jordan even, that I've always said, think about the worst kid in your school. Think about the biggest bully, the biggest druggie, the worst person that you see, and then imagine that that kid would be your kid's youth pastor one day. Do you believe that God can move mountains? Do you believe he'll do it again, church? Do you believe that he'll create a way when there's no way? I was looking for this Bible yesterday, and like Mitch always says, this isn't in my notes, this is free. And I found a planner that I carried around when I was deep in darkness, and it had poetry in it. I didn't know I wrote poetry. And it was from 1998 when I was just... And most of them I was begging to die. I don't remember writing it. I literally don't remember writing it. But God was there. And he knew that he needed to take me on a journey. So back to the Magi. If you think back to their story, what were they doing? They were ultimately bringing gifts, right? They were bringing three gifts. They were bringing gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Each one of these gifts had very spiritual, special meanings, right? The gold, and these are, this is in your notes, the gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold represents kingship. Why did gold represent kingship? It's really easy. It still would today, right, church? Who do we want to idolize today? We want to idolize the people with the most gold in this country. There was an article that I read the other day talking about how some of these athletes don't do more for children. And I said, why are you surprised by that? You should be surprised that any of them do anything for children. They're athletes. They play a game. We hold them up like they're God. We bow down to them. Singers, celebrities. We treat them like they're something when in fact they're human beings just like us. Just like us. God gave them talents and abilities just like he gave us talents and abilities. But they brought Jesus gold because he was their king. They brought him frankincense. 
Frankincense represented deity. It was incense to be burned. Just like the story of Zechariah, they went into the temple and they burned incense, right? It was saying, you are God. You are God. And they brought myrrh because it was something that they used in an embalming process for bodies. And it represented the ultimate death that Jesus would face for our lives, for our salvation. Now, I want you to think about it. We're all carrying things with us on this journey, right, church? And when you look at them this way, they don't necessarily sound like gifts to Jesus. But we're all carrying baggage that are represented by the three gifts. We're all on this journey to Jesus. And we have things that we need to lay down at his feet. We have things that we need to give up. We have things that we need to say, God, we are here and surrender for you. Take these things. Take them away from me and replace them with you. So I'm going to ask the band to come up as I wrap up. And I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. What's your gold? What's your gold? Who do you obey? What do you obey? I want you to think about it. I don't want you to fill it in right now. I want you to take it home with you. And I really want you to contemplate it. What is your gold, church? Is it popular opinion? Is it popular culture? Is it your social media comments? Is it your likes? Is it your friends, your society, what's going on around you, political opinion, political leaders? Who's your king? Who is it? Is he your king? Do you obey him as king? I really want you to consider this when you go home. Second, what's your frankincense? What is it? Who or what do you worship? Is he God in your life? Do you worship him as such? You see, for me, these could be answered as image back in the day. Like I was the fun guy to party with. That's how I felt. I felt like I'll never amount to anything. This is how I've been since I was a little kid. I started doing drugs at 12. I thought that's who I was going to be forever. That was my gift. What's your worship? Is it money? Is it possessions? Is it yourself? Is it your kids? What is it? What's your myrrh? Is his death the most significant moment in your life? Are you willing to die? Romans 12 and 1 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Are you willing to lay down your lives for this? Are you willing to lay down your lives for this? Listen, if you're in here today and he's not your king, if he's not your God, if his death means nothing to you and his resurrection means even less, I urge you to start your journey today. I urge you to just open up your heart and cry out to him and ask him to be your king, to be your God, to be your everything. If he is your king today, then you're on an amazing journey. Amen? You're on a journey that could have started five years ago, could have started 20 years ago, just could have started five days ago, right? But you see, God is constantly in our journey, but he chooses to manifest himself when he thinks that we need him the most. 
but we should think that we always need Him the most. There's never a moment where we don't need Him the most. So why you? Why me? It's a question I always ask myself. I asked myself that before I was saved. Why me? Why was I born into this life? And then after I was saved and I started losing friends like you wouldn't believe, to to drugs, to whatever, to sin, then I started asking myself, why me? Why did I get to live? And when my best friend lost his 16-year-old daughter to leukemia, I said, why me? Why did a scumbag like me get to live? Why did you choose me? Why Elizabeth and Zachariah? Why? Why couldn't they have had kids at a young age and, and spent many years with them? Why Mary and Joseph? Think about Joseph. You don't think Joseph ever said, why me? Think about it. Why them? If you think back to the story of the blind man, right? His parents asked Jesus, why me? Why my kid? Why was my child born blind? Was it because of my sin? And what did Jesus answer? It's to glorify God. It's to glorify God. We're all on a journey right now today, church. We're all on a journey today. And it's not to amass riches. It's not to stack up properties or to have a nicer car or any of those things. Those things may come in your journey. But you're on a journey for one reason and one reason only. And that's to glorify God.